Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Again, we will stop at that first comma. Just two words of verse 14. Everyone's found their place. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you and praise you for this reading of your word. We thank you, Lord. And we praise you for loving us so much that you would give us this instruction. For we recognize, O Lord, this instruction is so needful. We recognize, O Lord, especially in the hour that we live in. Though, Father, we need this instruction so, uh, so very much. So, Father, we would pray, we, we do pray that, Lord, you would be pleased to instruct us, to lead us, to guide us, uh, to uh, teach us, O Father. Now, that which you have determined, that which you have uh, meant to teach through these verses. So, Father, we pray that, uh, Lord, you may apply the Holy Spirit to us this morning. Father, you may meet each one of us, that you may speak to us, O Lord. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. It's my prayer and my hope that uh, by now... uh, especially those of you who have been able to be with us through uh, this whole series as we come to really the fifth installment, I think, as my memory is serving me correctly. It's the fifth message. That now as you read these words, you can be, begin to say, okay, I think, I'm, I think I'm getting this. You know, the word finally, that's Paul's last exhortation in the letter and that he has spent the first three chapters teaching and instructing us who we are in Christ Jesus. And then beginning with chapter four, he's giving us Uh, These various exhortations and the word finally here, we're getting the last exhortation. And furthermore, he is showing us that we're to be strong in the Lord or to be strengthened in the Lord, to be strengthened in the the strength or in the power of his might. And indeed, this is the the strength of his resurrecting power uh, that we're called uh, to be strengthened in. And then in verse 11, uh, we see there that, okay, this really is a subset of our union in Christ. That, uh, through faith, we're brought into union with Christ, just as a, a branch is picked up off the ground and brought into uh, and grafted into the vine. Uh, we see that putting on the whole armor of God really is a, a matter of putting off the old, putting on the new. And uh, we see that uh, we're to put on the whole armor of God in verse 11. Uh, that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We've looked at uh, various names of the devil, uh, I think in the third uh, installment of this series, and last week we looked at some of his schemes, really one in particular. Uh, we'll be looking at many more of his schemes as we go through. Uh, we'll just be looking at them uh, as opportunity arises. 
In fact, we'll be looking at one of his schemes again this morning. But as you look at verse 12, uh, there the apostle says that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, um, there's a number of things stated there in verse 12. We might scratch our heads and wonder, okay, uh, who are these rulers? Who are these authorities? What do we make of these cosmic powers? What do we make over this present darkness? What do we make over all of this? Last week I said kind of in passing that this refers to uh, powerful, uh, evil, angelic beings, but I didn't really say much more uh, other than that. And I think before we move on, uh, some things need to be said about that. And I also think that it's really imperative uh, that, we, uh, that we look at uh, how these uh, beings or how this has actually been understood over at least the last century. Uh, this is going to help us understand a little bit about the times we live in and a little bit about the danger uh, that we currently find ourselves in. Because uh, uh, in, in many ways, we really are in, 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 a, in a lot of danger. Uh, I don't want to scare anybody here. If you're in Christ Jesus, you're safe. When I say we, I say we as a culture. Uh, we as a culture. The Apostle Paul is giving us this instruction. He's giving us this instruction for a reason. The reason is that we may stand against these powerful uh, evil angelic beings. And if you notice, if, as we read through this, and I think by reading the first two words of verse 14 kind of uh, emphasizes that, that the Apostle Paul uses the word stand several times, doesn't he? The goal in all of this is to be able to stand. He says in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. And then in verse 13, he says, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to what? <coughs> to withstand. Uh, and having done all, to what? To stand firm. Verse 14, stand therefore. See, you can see he's very clearly emphasizing that. What is the goal? The goal is to be able to stand. I think this is really important for a number of reasons, and there really are two dangers that we need to be on our guard against. And this is really what I'm referring to about how this has been understood through the 20th century, through the 1900s, and even into today. There really are there. there it seems like there's this polarization when it comes to understanding spiritual warfare. Um, on one side, if you will, if you might imagine this as a road with ditches on both sides of the road, on one side of the road in the ditch, there's a practical obsession with spiritual warfare. Uh, more so, maybe a practical obsession with um, uh, the demonic realm, if you will. And uh, last week, I was trying to be very careful as I talked about uh, the scheme of affliction, you see, because uh, as a pastor, as a teacher, when we begin to teach on this subject in the present hour that we're in, we, uh, we run the risk of creating an obsession uh, on the demonic, demonic realm. We're need, we need to be mindful of the demonic realm, but we want to be careful that we don't become obsessed with the demonic realm to where we begin to see uh, a demon behind every bush, as it is often said. You know, uh, 
talking with one of you before the service was talking about their car not starting. And it's really, you know, I used this as an example last week. It's, I've actually heard people, they've said to me, you know, my car wouldn't start. I was late for work. The devil's just beating me up. And well, it's easy to attribute every single thing that could go wrong in our lives to some kind of uh, demonic activity. If we find ourselves thinking that way, we've gone too far. Why do these things happen? We need to go back to Genesis 3. Why do these things sound? The ground that we are, working, that we are walking on is cursed. That's part of the curse of rebelling against God. The ground that we walk on is cursed, is it not? And as a result of that, our work is going to be frustrated, right? Has anybody experienced frustrations in the workplace? No, someone said no. That's great. I mean, are they taking applications where you work? That's part of the curse. It's part of the curse. When our car doesn't start, I think that's where we ought to start by looking. It's the curse. You know, the curse. So you see, obsession with the demonic. And if you find yourself wanting to study the demonic and wanting to study the demonic, wanting to study the demonic, be really careful. Be really careful. And I would say do this. Tell somebody about it. Tell somebody close to you about it. There's nothing wrong with studying it per se, but be careful that you don't. That's one of his schemes. Because you see, he can flourish that way. He actually can flourish that way when we become obsessed. A lot of ministries that become obsessed with the devil began to fall into these kinds of patterns. And I, listen, I'm, I, I, I realize this is very well intended. I realize it's, it's really well intended. But a lot of times what can happen is we can say, okay, your, uh, your struggle with drug addiction or your struggle with uh, gambling or your struggle with alcohol really is the result of a spirit of alcohol or a spirit of of gambling or a spirit of this or a spirit of that. Now we need to be really careful with that. Why? Because it can, it, it can take our responsibility and turn it into something altogether different. Instead of being responsible at this point, we now become a victim. And that is really popular today, isn't it? We've got to be really careful. You see, you're never going to get any freedom that way. You see, if the focus goes from the gospel to these other ways of doing ministry, it, we can't focus on the gospel and focus on these other things, can we? And what happens is we end up throwing a veil over the gospel and we end up seeking all kinds of other ways to be delivered. There's only one way to be delivered, and that's through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you see, the devil can flourish. He does not want the gospel proclaimed. He wants, he doesn't, he, does, he wants to create an environment where we're skeptical of the gospel. Where we would say to ourselves, oh, that old story. You know, that old story that you love to tell? Really, I mean, that old story worked for our forefathers, but how can it work for modern man? Really? I mean, modern man with all of the sophistication of his life and modern man with all of the... How could that possibly work? We need to find new methodologies. We need to find new ways to deliver one another from these things, you see. 
He can flourish when, whenever that attitude, whenever that disposition is embraced, he'll flourish. Because he's put a lid on the very thing that can deliver us. If we're wrestling with drinking, we're wrestling with drugs, we're wrestling with gambling, whatever, whatever the addiction may be. The addiction is a modern term. The biblical term is enslavement. It could be food. If, listen, it, you know, someone might be sitting there saying, I could check out on this one. You know, I don't have a problem with drugs or alcohol. Okay, what's going to happen in about an hour? You know, that, that propensity to want to eat food, that where I've got to have this, you, you know, we, we need to be mindful of that. Because gluttony is mentioned right next to drunkenness as things to avoid, isn't it? And things to repent of. Food can have so much power over us. And remember, the Apostle Paul says of one individual in the New Testament that his God is his belly. Or, yes, his God is his belly. I meant to say his belly is his God. Well, that hits a little closer to home for some of us, doesn't it? How, do we, how are we set free from that? By the old story, Christ Jesus. So that's, that's one side of the road. How about the other side of the road? Well, all the way back in, I think, the 1930s, discussions uh, began. And I don't know if anyone's ever heard of the liberal theologian Rudolf Bachmann. Has anyone heard of him? He famously said, listen, nobody who flips a switch and turns a light on today or nobody who uh, understands the modern medical advancements that we have, modern surgical advancements that we have, nobody who can realize these things can still believe in demons or the devil. And passages like we've come to here after World War II began to be understood instead of the demonic realm, verse 12, where the Apostle Paul says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, these rulers, these authorities, these cosmic powers over this present darkness. These began to be understood not as personal, angelic beings, but as forces in the political and social, educational realm. You know, really, wherever there's a lot of people, there are these various forces at play. We've all been to high school, haven't we? <laughs> doesn't have to be, doesn't have to even be uh, uh, really in government, does it? You have cliques, you have all of these various oppressive forces that are in place. And what these, what these folks began to say, they looked at the passage of Scripture, they say, well, you know, um, after all, you know, rulers, arche, the Greek word arche, and authorities, exousia, these, these things don't have to be uh, angelic beings. These words can refer to earthly rulers. They can refer to uh, earthly powers. And in fact, we could probably, if Paul's using these words metaphorically, we could come to the conclusion that what's, in, what's really in view here are these forces that we see everywhere in the educational system. We see them in the social political system. You know, we see them in, in virtually everywhere where there's people gathered. So it became really uh, mainstream to kind of do away with the demonic. The whole idea of demonic, it sounds so old-fashioned. That's what our fathers believed, but... You know, that was kind of superstitious. And, you know, Paul's certainly, certainly not talking about demons and, and, and the devil. I mean, 
he might as well be talking about hobgoblins and ghosts and ghouls and poltergeists and things of the sort. Now, as this ideology has become more widespread and it's been embraced in really the disciplines of psychology and the disciplines of psychiatry, what has happened? What has happened? Joel Beakey, in his helpful little book entitled Fighting Satan, uh, says in one of the chapters that some authors recognize there are more than 500 satanic groups in the United States. It's pretty astounding, isn't it? And the, their constituency is about 10,000 strong, although it's difficult to come up with numbers because they don't really post statistics. But really, without that information, I mean, we can look around and we can clearly see that uh, there has been a proliferation of interest in the occult, of interest in uh, all of these various things through TV, television programs. And listen, when we see it on TV, a lot of times we think, man, we see this on TV. By the time this stuff makes it to TV, it's largely embraced by many people. Television networks don't take chances with these shows. They're going to spend millions of dollars on a show. They do the polls. They do the homework. They try to put something together that people want to watch. And these shows like Medium and all these various shows that, that uh, really very much flavored in the occultic realm, uh, there's been polls done and there's a large interest in this stuff. Uh, that wouldn't have been the case uh, prior to these ideologies. And I don't, I don't share all this with you to give you a lesson in historical theology, uh, as important as that might be, but I share these things with you so that we might all together come to some understanding about the times that we live in. You know, as you begin to talk about demons and you begin to talk about the demonic realm in many circles, you start to sound like some kind of kook. Well, the devil flourishes. He flourishes as he's ignored. He flourishes. So it's kind of interesting. The devil flourishes when he's obsessed over and he flourishes when no one believes he exists. See, he wants to get us out on the ditch on one side of the road or the ditch on the other side of the road. But what is the Apostle Paul saying to us here? He's very clearly saying to us uh, that there is a demonic realm that there is a devil, and that we need to be on our guard. Now, some of the messages that I've preached on here, you know, I've made, I've made several, uh, several remarks like this stuff is scary. Uh, I want to qualify that. I have had intentions fully of qualifying that as we went along. If you're in Christ Jesus this morning, it doesn't need to be scary. Okay? It needs, it, it, what the apostles are calling us to is sobriety. I, I, think, I think sobriety is a good word. Now, we need not be scared. Why? Because, listen, the demonic realm is no match for Jesus. Always remember those stories all through the gospel where Jesus, when he encounters demon, the demonic realm, what happens? They kick and they scream, don't they? They want away from him. It's not even a close match if we're in Christ Jesus. But I have said this is scary for a reason, and I want to say both. I want to say it is scary and it isn't scary. I want to say that it is scary. I want to say that it isn't scary to those who are in Christ Jesus. I want to say it is scary to those who aren't in Christ Jesus. If you're not in Christ Jesus, this ought to be very frightening because it's the realm in which you are living. 
There's only two camps to choose from. And that's scary. And the way out is to be brought into union with Christ. And that's through faith in Christ Jesus, is it not? Now, back to the text here. The Apostle Paul says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. What does he mean by that? Well, let's start with the phrase flesh and blood. Uh, you know, simply what's being said there is, is we don't wrestle against humanity. We don't wrestle against men or we don't wrestle against women. And let's think, Jesus uses the phrase that way. If we might imagine or might think about Jesus in Matthew 16 where Jesus asks the disciples, he says, who do the people say that I am? And um, they answer, they will say, some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're Elijah, some say you're one of the prophets of old, some say you're John the Baptist. And then he says, well, who do you guys say that I am? Peter makes his famous confession, doesn't he? He says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For what? For flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. But my father who is in heaven. In other words, no man or woman revealed that information to you. My father revealed that information to you. And that's how Paul's using the phrase here. He's saying we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We're not, we're not really wrestling against uh, one another here. And the word wrestle, we need to say some things about that. The word wrestle in the Greek is the word pale. And I'm going to guess, I think the word pale would have probably have been to, the, to those in ancient Ephesus uh, what football is to those in Pittsburgh. It's a word from the sports arena. It's a word from sports. Pale was, it was, it was wrestling. Literally, if we can imagine uh, uh, two men wrestling on a mat. You know, when I was in uh, school, um, when I was really uh, young, I went out for uh, baseball Little League Baseball, and very quickly realized I was never going to be a baseball player. And uh, before I realized it, many others had realized it too. It wasn't for me. I gave that up. Then I thought a little bit later I might try basketball, and the same kind of thing happened. Uh, I was never going to be a basketball player. I mean, I, but I loved the conditioning. I loved him when, boy, the coach we had, our basketball team, he was really a strong guy. And, um, Man, he really worked our butts off, you know. Uh, but I enjoyed all that. I went out for basketball, decided I made, I, I wanted to quit after the first, the first day. Um, not because I didn't want to run. I didn't mind running. I didn't mind doing the steps. I loved the exercise in the weight room. I loved all that. It's because, you know, we all have to do these figure eights and do these layups. And I felt like everyone was looking at us. Anybody had that experience? Like, oh, it's my turn, you know. Everybody close your eyes. Here we go. You know, it's like, hey, the hoop's over here, Rick. <laughs> what are you aiming for? It was awful. And I, I went through the whole part. I went through all the calisthenics and everything. Before the scrimmage, I, I put in my resignation. And I remember some of my friends saying, I remember some of my friends saying, Rick, what are you quitting now for? After all that work, I said, I didn't mind the work. I didn't mind the work. Well, well, what are you quitting for? You know, come on. And I'd say, listen, do you really want me on your team? <laughs> and that's when they would kind of put their head down, like, well, you got a point. <laughs> but it was about that time where the school, we didn't have an organized wrestling team, but it was about that time where interest began. And uh, we had a coach that was kind of 
trying to get a, a wrestling team together, and I gave that a try. And of course, we 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 never really went uh, to other schools or anything. We just did this within within our own school, and I actually was okay at that. And I can remember um, the way my coach would would train me is he would put me in with people that were larger than me, and I I can remember being put in not the next weight category, but the category after that, where there was about a 20, 25 pound difference in weight. And I mean to tell you, when you're wrestling with somebody that's a lot stronger than you, you know, you, when the whistle blows, you start wrestling and you wrestle until that, that whistle blows again. I think that whistle was ever going to blow. I mean, the goal is to get pinned down and I just would never give up. I just would not give up. And, 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 if anybody had that experience, by the way, where you're using every muscle in your body for a period of time, uh, it seems like it's just going on forever. That's what's in view here in our text. Where the Apostle Paul says, we do not wrestle. Um, this is strenuous and vigorous activity where we're literally using every muscle of our soul against these schemes. But where the uh, metaphor breaks down is we're not wrestling against flesh and blood here. We're not wrestling against one another. Now, we need to say some things about that. Does that mean, what what the apostle wants us to, to see here is ultimately our war is not with one another. Our war is with the spiritual beings that are behind this. Now, we can, we can read this and we can think, okay, well, we don't really wrestle with people anymore. Well, that's not really what Paul's saying. He's saying ultimately our battle is with spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. But that doesn't mean we don't wrestle with one another. You know, if you don't need to turn here. I'm just going to read a couple of verses to you from 2 Corinthians 11 where the Apostle Paul says these words. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews, the hands of the Jews, the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, Danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. Now, most of the dangers that Paul's making reference to in these verses are coming at the hands of people, isn't it? It's coming at the hands of people. So it's not, let's not get in our heads that, okay, we're really not wrestling against people at all. No, what Paul is saying is, is he's not saying this in an absolute sense. He's saying this, that ultimately our battle is beyond people. It's beyond people. But we will have to contend with people in this life. John Calvin put it so geniusly. He said this. He said, listen, people are the darts on which Satan hurls at us. I don't think anyone would want to say we don't have to deal with darts. As we get into the various armor, we're going to see we've been given a shield. What's the purpose of the shield? It's to put out those flaming darts, isn't it? Those flaming arrows. We have to deal with those darts. Now, the application of this, the application I want to make of this is, is everything. You know, the Apostle Paul, can, he can describe this. Let me just listen to this again. 
The Apostle Paul says five times, I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less ones. Anybody realize what that is? That's where someone stands with a whip. And sometimes the whip would have broken pieces of pottery on the end of it. And then they would crack you with a whip 39 times. People died from that. The Apostle Paul endured that five times during the time of his ministry. He says, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. He was stoned and left for dead. He says on frequent journeys he was in danger from robbers, danger from my own people. So here the Apostle Paul, he contended with people, didn't he? Now, if we had to endure just a beating with rods one single time, what would be the temptation that would go on in our hearts? And let me take this out of the hypothetical. Let's just put this right down in the mainstream of the day. Tomorrow morning when we go to work and someone annoys us, even with the most petty of things, what goes on in our hearts? It's retaliation, isn't it? Justification, self-justification, retaliation. You know, the Apostle Paul says something in Romans 9, and I don't know, you know, if you've read it, you've, you know, your breath has probably been taken away by it. Every time I read it, my breath is still taken away by this. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 9, in verse 3, he says, For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Do you realize what he's saying there? He's saying that I could wish that I would be accursed and cast into hell for eternity so that my brothers and my sisters may be saved. Isn't that an amazing statement? And here it is in Holy Scripture. I think we ought to ask ourselves, how do we get there? Because, you know... Tomorrow morning, the most petty thing could be done to any one of us, myself included. And we could be flirting in our hearts. We might never say a word, but we could be flirting in our hearts all kinds of malicious things that we'd like to do to the person who's done the most petty thing to us. How do we get from here to where the Apostle Paul is? How do we, how do we make that transition? How do we go? Well, we could say by the grace of Christ, of course we want to say that, but let's be more specific It's understanding that ultimately we are not dealing with flesh and blood. That's the first step in the way, I think. So that when we we go through these uh, many times petty annoyances, but sometimes these annoyances aren't so petty, are they? Sometimes they really hurt. Sometimes they're significant. They're very significant. Sometimes we need to do things about them. And... I'm not really talking about that as much as I'm talking about the, dis- the fact that our inner peace has been disturbed. That's what I'm talking about. You know that feeling of when your inner peace has been disturbed? And sometimes that can go on for days. That can go on for weeks. That can just go on. And maybe some of us have had that going on in our hearts forever. How do we get that peace back? How do we get that peace? It's in Christ Jesus. It's putting on the armor. It's putting on Christ. It's recognizing that what did Jesus endure? 
What did Jesus endure? Nails through the wrists, through the feet, the humiliation of hanging on a cross before the mockers. I mean, we could go down the list, couldn't we? Yet he never reviled once, did he? He's showing us the way. The same power that enabled Jesus to do this is the same power that the Apostle Paul is calling us to be strengthened in. It's one and the same. So at the end of the day, we can't say that we didn't have access. All that we can say is we had unwillingness. Is there any fault in my logic here? So how do we get there? Well, we get there by steps. We get there through ways. And listen, I'm using the word we here. I, I need this message worse than, than anyone in this room. How do we get there? I want to go there. Do you want to go there? I want to get there. And that's the first part of it, is the Lord working in our hearts to, to make us will and want to go there. I, I want to go there. I want to go there. I recognize I'm never going to do this like Jesus. But I want to do this as best as I can, using the resources that are available to me as best as I can. How do I do it? Look back to verse 12. Of Ephesians 6, that is. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. One thing we've got to realize is we have to put on this armor, and we have to have this armor on 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And someone may say, well, at least when we're sleeping, we're safe. No, we're not. No, we're not. If anyone's familiar with the story of Samson, when was his hair cut off? It was while he was asleep. William Gurnall brings that out in his, in his book on these verses. It's while he was asleep. So we must put on the whole armor of God. And in the next couple of messages, I don't know how many more messages we have, but we're going to begin looking at the armor. I still haven't made my mind up before. I really don't think we need to take a week on each particular piece. So we'll probably be doing two or three at a time. And if that's the case, then we'll probably be another two or three weeks and we'll be wrapping all of this up. But in the meantime, what are we learning? We're learning that ultimately we're not wrestling. That is, we're not strenuously and vigorously involved in resisting and opposing these real, personal, spiritual, evil beings. Okay? Ultimately, our wrestling is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people, although we're going to have to deal with people. They are the darts, aren't they? Can we see that? They're the darts. Tomorrow morning, when, you know, if, if it's the Lord's will that we become annoyed or irritated by something or some violation that's done against us, let's remember these are darts. You know, I think this really helps so much because if we really were in a war, if imagine if we were, you know, we were shooting arrows at each other. I mean, you usually don't get angry with the dart. Uh, 
you're, you realize your war. I mean, is the, dart, is the dart the enemy? Of course, we don't want the dart to penetrate our bodies. But really, we can clearly see that the battle is with the one who is aiming the darts at us, is it not? I think that goes a long ways in, in really uh, instructing us and equipping us and enabling us not to retaliate against the arrow itself. Does that make sense? I hope I'm clear this morning. So ultimately, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against these rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Heavenly Father, O oh Lord, we do look to you, O oh Father, this morning. We look to you, O oh Lord, as we consider the nature of the times that we live in, we look to you, O Lord, as we consider that there really are two, uh, two errors that we must be on our guard. As we think about putting on the whole armor of God, we think about the truth. And the truth is there are two errors that we need to avoid. Father, I pray that you would give us grace that none of us would obsess over the evil one, but that we would not ignore him either. So, Father, we ask that, Lord... You would take us down the middle of the road. And that, Father, you would also help us to internalize the truth. This is so difficult to do. That we would internalize the truth that people who are created in your image ultimately are not our enemy. Although we do have to contend with people. Persecution takes place at the hands of people. And these violations and annoyances that we endure take hand. They t- they, they happen at the hand, most often happen at the hands of people. Oh, Father, we do desire so much to uh, reflect uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who when he was, uh, when he was persecuted, when he was crucified, he, he reviled not. No, oh, Father, there's a willingness in our hearts to want to be like that. But, Father, we recognize not one of us has the ability so, Father, we pray that, Lord, you would put these verses into our hearts, store them up. That, oh, Father, slowly and over time, Lord, we would begin to overcome the power of the flesh. We would begin to overcome that propensity to want to lash out uh, in the likeness of the old man. And that, oh, Father, we would meet these uh, things in the likeness of the new man. So, Father, we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, Amen.